0: This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9 Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, Sin Bravely, A Joyful Alternative to the Purpose-Driven <laughs> Life, Our guest today, Mark Ellingson, argues that awareness of sin leads to freedom and joy as the pressure is removed to do good and be good all the time. This self-forgetful lifestyle is a promising counter-cultural alternative to the cultural narcissism which dominates many segments of contemporary American society today. Ellingson is Associate Professor of Church History at the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta. Mark Ellingson, welcome to Weekly Signals.
1: Great to be with you. Thanks yeah. for the invitation.
0: Well, well, thank you very much for being here. How How is it in Atlanta today?
1: Uh, hot and muggy as usual. <laughs> is that, is <laughs> thank that the, goodness for air conditioning.
0: Is, is that the way it runs this time of
1: year? Oh, yes.
0: Well, well, I don't hope it cools down. I guess that's the way it's supposed to be, but I hope you're cooler. We
1: well. love the town, but not the climate. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. so, so tell me,
0: what was your inspiration for, for writing Sin Bravely? How did you come into this book?
1: Well, it really goes back to my undergraduate days. Uh I was moved very deeply uh, for the first time to read Martin Luther, and the joy, the emphasis on love, on freedom, on countercultural Christianity that uh, he posits. Most Lutherans don't know about it. Most American Christians (laughs) don't know about it. But that's it, and that's what really moved me.
0: Why do you think it is that most uh, Americans and Christians don't know about this uh, countercultural Christianity of Luther?
1: Well, it has to do with the fact that we Americans... Our understanding of religion is very much shaped by the Mayflower experience of the Pilgrims. The Pilgrims were Puritans who believed Christianity is all about duty, all about responsibility, and that's the way most Americans regard religion. Mm -hmm. Even even non-religious folks look at uh, religion that way.
0: Now, now, tell us about sinning bravely. What do you mean when when you say sin bravely?
1: Well, I really uh, mentioned already, this whole idea goes back to Martin Luther, but uh, you can trace it further back to St. Augustine, an early African theologian, back to St. Paul. Sin bravely can only be understood in connection with another idea, being brave in your belief. To sin bravely is to say, hey, in everything I do, in everything we all do, we're driven by egocentricity. We're driven by a sense of self satisfaction. That means there's no such thing as a good deed. And you know, there's uh, some modern scientific insights that are bearing those uh, theological ideas out. We could talk about them later if you want. But then, if I could just get on to the other part the belief, the brave believing, when you have this idea, life is really the dregs. I mean, life is all about egocentricity. Where is there joy? And yet, the bold believer sees good things in life, sees good things coming out of the egocentricity of folks, but they're not the ones doing it. The good things, then, can only come from God. And so what sin brave, uh, brave sinners do is they have a tool for breaking through our secularism, for seeing God and the good things in life. The good things in life aren't natural. They're supernatural.
0: Well, what, what you're saying, though, is, is uh, well, we can't avoid sin. And, and so, far, so far, I think I have. Can you... Can you uh, can,
1: okay, can you, you have? have. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I asked my students that to give me counseling how to avoid sin. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, what, uh, what brings you to doing this radio show? What's your motivation?
0: Uh, sin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you, you care about the ratings, right? You want the job. Yeah. And why am I on this show? Why did I write this book? I can say I did it for God and Jesus and uh, the advancement of humanity, but I want to I sell books. Uh-huh. But maybe, and maybe our hearers... After all, they're here to be entertained, too. Uh-huh. But just maybe by a miracle, despite all our egocentricity, some good insights could come out of this.
0: Well, now, when, when you talk about, uh, again, about uh, sinning bravely, can you get into that a little bit more? Just uh, how, how that by not sinning bravely, it can lead to egocentricity and narcissism. Where, where is the, the point that we, uh, you know, when we're, we're sinning unbravely, that we become narcissistic?
1: Oh, uh, when 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 we're cowardly. Well, if I'm a cowardly sinner. And that means I don't see sin in everything I do. So look at all the good things we do. I mean, look at the ta- how your talent has gotten you on radio. Look at how my talent has gotten me uh, in, uh, in these books that I've written. Look at uh, the talent that uh, these gifted pastors have had to bring people to Jesus. But do you see that it becomes all about me and instead of uh, God, instead of the neighbor? Mm-hmm.
0: Is is that the point where you you disagree with Rick Warren, then, because he's— I, I just happened, to, well, I, I played a little clip of him before we went on air, and, and in listening to whatever I could of him online, uh, he seems to bring the word I into an awful lot of what he said. Is, uh-huh. Uh-huh. is, is, is that what you're talking about? Is, is taking credit for so much?
1: That's, not, that's, that's part of what's going on in Rick's case, but it's even deeper than that. And by the way, uh, think of the politicians. Uh, they usually use the royal we, but they say, look at what we've done, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but no, see, I, I like Rick. I say in the book, I, I come uh, uh, not to bury Warren, but to praise him, mm-hmm. sort of. And, and I think that Rick is on target in trying to break with this kind of egocentricity and narcissism in our culture, but unfortunately his uh, theology, his uh, ideas, don't pull it off. He now, winds up being a cowardly sinner instead.
0: Is, is that just because he's putting too much emphasis on, on his, his programs and on his church and on his books and, and on himself?
1: Well, look at the idea of uh, Rick's uh, bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. Okay. The Purpose Driven Life is all about my purpose. I need to find purpose in life. And then that focus on the individual's purpose cashed out in his bestseller. He never got into social ethical concerns for the poor in that book. Now, to his credit, he's moving uh, in that direction a little bit better now with some qualifications we might want to talk about uh, regarding his uh, position on uh, gay rights. But that's another thing we can uh, get into. The other thing about Rick is when you are saturated with a concern about purpose, then he makes some promises. He says that if you are purpose-driven, you're going to find success. Gee, that sounds like the prosperity gospel of Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar. It really is all about me, ultimately, for Rick. Yep.
2: Now, go ahead, Mike. I just want to jump in here because uh, I was, uh, I'm, I'm going to confess to you, Uh-oh, Mark. Uh, I, no, no, that's coming from, <laughs> I was raised Catholic, okay, mm-hmm. spent 12 years in Catholic school. Long tradition in my family, Catholicism.
1: Well, I'm a Lutheran. We love Catholics.
2: That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why—this is, why, is my overwhelming need to confess to you. I'm not quite understanding—okay, so help me out here. You're saying that our lack of recognition of the ego in what we're doing is is a form of sin? Am I, to, not, to, to, to assume that we're doing all these things— uh, we 're fooling ourselves to believe we 're doing all these things for altruistic reasons, but we really are doing them for selfish ego driven reasons
1: exactly we 're fooling ourselves the scientific realities uh, indicate that uh, right. the traditional Christian faith is right on that it 's all about sin, and what happens when you when you uh, say that you can do it you 're really denying God because then you 're saying you can do good
2: without god so but so let me let me continue because I want to make sure i 'm understanding so then if we do these things. With and sort of give ourselves up to knowing that it's an ego driven thing, but that we do it anyway with the idea that we're moving closer to a a a godly reason to do these things. Is it? Are we sort of going through? We're coming through on the other side of all of this. Is that?
1: That's exactly it. You begin to see now. The bravest sinner is somebody who recognizes that they're doing sin, even in what the world seems to be a good deed. Yeah, and then such a person winds up saying, hey, I didn't do that good. It was really the supernatural. It was really God doing it. So yes, exactly. In confessing your sin, there's something right about the Catholic Church's uh, confession tradition there. In confessing your sin, you become more spiritual. You become more concerned about the other.
2: Is there something of a... I use this as a very broad brush to say it this way, but a sort of an Eastern philosophy in that understanding that it is a game of sorts, that we pl- we're we all playing a ga- in a game, and that to sort of to understand that game is to sort of... Embrace it in a way, but also understand that there is something more to it. By recognizing it as a game, you're recognizing your own failings, your own your own uh, um, uh, uh, drawbacks, and you're beginning to get beyond it. Is is that a? Am I?
1: I'm a great uh, a great uh, fan and a great uh, admirer of Eastern religions especially Buddhism, but also yeah. Hinduism. Yeah. However, I don't want to give them the only credit for this, because this uh, whole but idea that life's the game yeah. goes back to the early Church okay. and St. Augustine.
2: Okay. Well, I came to know that idea from uh, from uh, brushing up against Buddhism now and then, so that's why I brought it into that context. But,
1: but you see, it says something about how American Christianity has been co-opted by this uh, Puritan vision, I say, that you and I don't hear that kind of rhetoric in the Church, even though it really has its roots in early Christianity, this mm-hmm. idea that life's the game.
2: Very good.
0: Well, now, you said it came from St. Augustine. Uh, So how did he influence the uh, Eastern philosophies?
1: Well, again, I am not aware, since I'm not an expert in uh, world religions, I'm not aware of any direct contact there. After all, insofar as modern science is giving insight to this egocentricity, Shouldn't we expect that this insight about the uh, egocentric behavior human beings uh, undertake, the fact that human beings are uh, playing games in life, shouldn't we expect these insights to uh, develop not just in Christian regions yeah, but in other course. regions?
2: Of course. Yes. Recognition. Okay. Very good.
0: Um, now, I know we talked a little bit this before, uh, not on air. How does uh, this narcissism in american culture uh, play out on the world stage what are we doing to to the rest of the world uh, given our uh, you know our our self-concern
1: well christopher lash who was really the originator of this way of understanding american society is a kind of a narcissism has this concept which he borrows from clinical psychology that the narcissist is someone who is self-concerned but when you're really focusing on yourself then you're empty because we are only filled by our relations with others we are empty and so we crave something to fill the emptiness we crave power we crave wealth that's why and that's a way of understanding american foreign policy is it not mm-hmm. It also, I think, is a way of understanding American politics. It explains your governor. We (laughs) want to be around. We want to be around celebrities because we want that celebrity so badly to fill our emptiness.
0: Well, I'd just like to right here and now apologize for our
2: governor. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. we yeah, well.
0: We got
1: uh, a president like that too. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I want to I want to I want to extrapolate this just a little bit further because we uh, recently had uh, we we're fortunate to have on Weekly Signals uh, Andrew Basevich who's written a terrific book called The Limits of Power and the, mm-hmm. the end of American exceptionalism. And is this is this sort of narcissism is that a manifestation is American exceptionalism, Well, I believe us to be a great country with great traditions. I'm not a big believer in American exceptionalism as a way of conducting ourselves in the, in the world. I think it's, it ends up being counterproductive and, and actually destructive. So I'm laying my cards out here, but I, I, does, is that part of it? Is American exceptionalism somehow tied into this idea of the ego, of our ego-driven lives?
1: I think certainly in the sense that uh, the Basavich book uh, talks about it, I agree. But I also want to concur with you. That there's something exceptional about the American political system that we really uh, need to uh, own and celebrate, not to impose on others, but to really come to terms with. And interestingly enough, you know, my argument in the book is that the American constitutional system converges with this, with this idea of brave sinning.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. how how is that?
1: Well, what's the separation of powers all about? You can't trust. Individuals, you can't uh-huh. trust groups of people uh-huh. because they're always self-serving. And when you really get into the depths of the uh, core beliefs of America's founders, if we let the right, if we stop letting the right uh, define them for us, we find that Madison was a card carrying Augustinian in his view of human nature. Uh-huh. So was Hamilton. Yeah.
0: So- we're speaking with Mark Ellingson. The book is "Sin Bravely," a joyful alternative to a purpose-driven life.
2: No, I just was going to say I agree with you, and that the founding fathers were faced with these two very conflicting currents in in, in of thought, which was the here and now, uh, the, the, their 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 uh, their desire for a new society, for a, a new way of governance, uh, but with the understanding that uh, you cannot invest too much of. The uh, institutions with human beings, you have to really take the long view of, of, of the way that people govern and put in checks and balances. And as you just described, the idea of uh, the church and state, state separation is one good example of that.
1: Yes, but I also would uh, go, uh, here I'm going to sound like I come from the right, that a Christian view of human beings underlies the Founders.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, how, how do you mean that? In, in what way?
1: In the sense that the doctrine of sin... The very doctrine of sin that I've been describing in Martin Luther, going back to Saint Augustine, undergirds the uh, founders' view, and in fact, they even got it from Christian sources. One of the people that's typically overlooked in terms of the foundations of the American society—we talk about the Tocqueville, but we don't talk about John Witherspoon, Madison's teacher, who was very Augustinian and who really shaped the separation of powers and Madison's thinking on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do you think there was a point in time where we were living up to those ideals, those Augustinian ideals?
1: I think when America works best, it is Augustinian. But okay. then, the, the uh, we also have the Declaration of Independence, a very uh, optimistic view of human nature. And I think you can understand American history as an interplay between these two different views of human nature. Which one is dominating in a given period? In our narcissistic era, it's the optimistic view. Cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Alrighty, Well, let's move on to uh, just talking about neurologically, what sinning bravely does to us as individuals. Uh, And I I, I know you spoke a little bit uh, on on the selfish gene. Uh, Can you just go into that a little bit?
1: Okay. Well, as far as what makes us sinners, Mm -hmm. we have been constituted, it seems, at least as a Christian, I want to say on this side of the fall in such a way that in everything we do, we're always seeking And even our genes seem to function on that basis. The desire to propagate oneself into the next uh, generation through offspring seems to be related to the desire of the genes themselves to maintain an identity in future generations. Then, the other thing is, recent research on the brain has shown that Activities that we associate with the highest expression of culture, like love, like nurturing, like raising children, they are rewarded by good dope, which our brain secretes. So you see, when you're doing good for your neighbor, when you're caring about the next generation, it feels good. It's all about sin. It's all about selfishness.
2: Mark uh, Ellingson, uh, do you believe, are you a believer in original sin?
1: Well, that's what I'm talking about. I, I mean, you, you you can't you're you're, you're a cowardly, uh, gutless wonder right, if uh, if uh, if you don't believe in original sin. Yes.
2: Well, okay. well he is. Well, yeah, I that. am all of those things because. So then, what? So to me, that always that's always meant two things. The negative part of it is, I'm, well, I'll, I'll accentuate the positive that we're always that we're wired to to look for redemption. Hmm. Is that is that would that be fair to say if we belie- if you believe if I believe in original sin and I want and I seek a better life for myself, or I seek a better spiritual life for myself, I am constantly seeking redemption. Is that, well,
1: is that fair? Well, I'm not about seeking. Now you sound more like Rick Warren with that comment. That's the way <laughs> Rick would play it. I would say, what, uh, because of original sin, I realize I can't do any good except by divine intervention. Except, see, I'm I'm a, I'm a brave sinner. I'm, I might be a Christian, but I'm still the same uh, uh, sleazy, see, uh, selfish swab I, I always
2: was. <laughs> see, in the in the Catholic tradition, I've I came away from it with uh, the idea of original sin. To me, the the damaged person that I am, as never ever will I be good enough. It it I think it 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 serves the purpose to to continually undermine your your sense of spirituality. I, uh, this is just my opinion.
1: Well, again, if if you understand original sin that way as something that you can overcome, and and this is uh, you know you're being a good Catholic on that point, I agree with you. But I would, uh, with all due respect to my Catholic friends, want to argue that maybe you need to get back to Saint Augustine. Maybe you need to see that uh, your view of original sin is more uh, influenced by the Middle Ages here, and you're being a little too cowardly in that view. Okay,
2: well that's good to hear. I'm, I'll, I'll accept <laughs> that and, and, and move on. But I but I, I that was that's what I took away as uh, from as a non-practicing Catholic. In any Longer, but I. I no, took I would away agree, th- and that's yeah. the
1: dominant view of Christianity. I think Rick, Rick is uh, Rick Warren, and uh, the prosperity gospel folks are operating with that view of original sin too. Right. I, I want to invite you back to uh, St. Paul, Romans seven, to St. Augustine, and to Martin Luther.
2: Well, well I welcome your embrace. <laughs> <Yeah. All right.
1: laughs> now, is, do you have a self help uh, manual for us? <laughs> yeah, are there are there
0: steps that people can take? Are, are there just you know straight out rules that they can they follow to try and get Closer to Sinning Bravely. And by the way, we are speaking with Mike Ellingson about his book, Sin Bravely.
1: Uh, My book is the anti-self-help book. Okay. But I can give some clues as to what I've found helpful in Sinning Bravely and uh, see if uh, it inspires some thinking in others. But ultimately, if you sin bravely, uh, it's going to be a miracle. The first step, you need to realize that in everything you do, you're doing it selfishly. and Then... If you don't go that route, you're going to keep on keeping on with what you're doing. Well, the latest neurobiological research indicates that the more you keep doing the same thing, the less satisfaction you get, the less of the natural dope that feels good you get. You won't feel happier if you're not doing something different, if you're not striving to find something different, because then the neural connections get built. Then the brain gets built into new connections, and you get more dope. So my second step is... Try to yearn for something. Think back to what you wanted in childhood. Yearn. Pick up on that yearning. That's why Jesus talked about being a follower like the children were, because they yearn. When that happens, the new brain connections get built. You begin to feel the joy. But then, if it's just about you, these yearnings, if you're not concerned with the bigger picture, you don't get the good dope. Only when you're concerned with the big picture do you get the big, the good dope. And so that's exactly what the brave sinner does. The brave sinner is yearning. The brave sinner is following dreams, but they're dreams for others, not just for themselves. But then don't take it too seriously, because after all, it's all about play. If any good comes out of those yearnings, it's all by God.
2: Well, there you go. Well, that's... Very good. Well, I good feel to better already. <laughs> 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 keep, keep dreaming. Now, now what's what, on radio? Yeah, now, use no.
1: this radio career or you guys to really do the common good, and you'll feel the good dope. Now, right. no,
2: Mark Ellingson, uh, you. What's been the reaction uh, among some of your colleagues? Uh, the, these are this does run some it does run counter to some uh, pretty strongly held beliefs within the Christian community. What what what's been the reaction from?
1: Well, I. Teach at a uh, at a non-denominational seminary of the historic African American Church. It's the uh, largest and oldest uh, accredited black seminary in the country, and uh, most of my colleagues are uh, not of uh, my denominational background. More Rick Warrens, uh, who uh, so so I get some friendly things about how since center how much of a sinner I am from the more optimists, uh, and of course uh, we have the kind of friendship I can uh, say you're cowards. But what they are excited about, most of my colleagues is the social uh, ethical implications of this, because uh, you know a brave sinner is somebody who's a rebel, who can't stand injustice, because that just drives you back to narcissism, who can't stand poverty. And so that side has certainly uh, been, been received with a great deal of uh, welcome and, and, uh, and interest.
0: Uh, well, very good. Mark, uh, we have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and I just want to thank you for writing this book, uh, Sin Bravely, a joyful alternative to a purpose-driven life. Mark Ellingson, thank you for being on Weekly Signals.
1: Thank you, and believe more bravely. All right.
0: To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until
2: next week, I'm Nathan Callahan, and I'm Mike Kaspar, and this is Weekly Signals.